This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hey, Tara. As you know, I've been going back to therapy, and I absolutely love it. You've been going back to therapy too, right? Oh, yeah. I went back to therapy, and I went back to BetterHelp as well. Did you really? And how's that working out for you? I love it because there's so many therapists to choose from on there. Whatever you need, you could just go through a list. I went through a list the other day, just seeing what they had to offer. There was one with PTSD. There's so many great therapists. I mean, I believe there's over 30,000 different therapists that are on their app and you can communicate with them with video conferencing. You can do messages and communicate with your therapist. It's a very personalized experience, which I really love. Oh, yes. I texted with a therapist the other day and I'm never tried that out before and I was like oh because I was typing it out with her processing through it and usually I get angry when I type stuff out but I was like oh I was able to process it and work through it in a new way and you know what in a season of giving what better gift than to give yourself the gift of therapy in the season of giving give yourself what you need with better help Visit BetterHelp.com slash Survivor today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Survivor. Trigger warning. This podcast discusses themes centered around emotional, physical, and sexual violence. While the stories of the survivors are meant to be inspiring and informative, listener discretion is advised. If you're struggling with any of the aforementioned issues, Links to resources can be found in the show notes of today's episode. And when I was heading home, my mother said to me, you know, you have to call the police because you're going home to a domestic violence situation. You need to warn them. So I called the police. I went home and he's high on cocaine, running a meeting in the living room. And he comes down to my office and tells me I'm taking our daughter to Florida. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Listen, I am from Brooklyn. Right, I'm like over my dead body. And so he has my daughter and runs up the stairs. And um, as I chase him, he donkey kicks me down the stairs. So luckily I was in really good shape back then. I ran up the stairs, dialed 911, chased him. All my help is watching him steal my daughter. And um, he went into the garage and I said to my one housekeeper, close the garage door. And he had my daughter in the car. He drove us both into the garage door. Hi, Survivors. I'm Tara Newell. And I'm Collier Landry. And this is the Survivor Squad Podcast. Woohoo! Yay! Another episode. Another episode, number two in 2024. Yes. And we have a lot of exciting things going on, I think. Yes, we do. We have quite a bit of exciting things happening, right, Tara? Like our podcasting course. Oh, yes. I'm so excited for the podcasting course because 
I interviewed with Navigating Advocacy, Murder Diaries, Strictly Stalking, Gen Y, Justin from Gen Y, and so many others. Yeah, Jamie Rice from Murderish, I think, too. Oh, yes. Jake Deptula from uh, from Strictly Stalking as well, right? Oh, yes. And Jamie BB. And Jamie BB. Yes, I love them so much. And we've both been on their podcast as well. Yes, we have. So, yeah, a lot a lot going on. But um, there's some other things that you have going on as well. You just, new year, new you, you just launched a new website, didn't you? Oh, yes. And you helped me out with it a little bit. Thanks to our friend Karen Can that you hooked me up with. Yes, Karen Fan. <laughs> yes, but her nickname on social media is Karen Can. Karen Can. Got it. Yes. <laughs> she became a fan of my show and she wanted to help. And I said, you know what? Tara needs a new website. I mean, I need a new website too, but Merry Christmas, Tara. Here's a new website. Karen's going to do it. Yes. And it happened at the perfect time because my website crashed that day. <laughs> it looks fan- fantastic. And you launched it like what? Not this last weekend, right? Or Yeah. Like about a week ago now. That's great. And we have some new Patreon uh, content that's been going up as well. And we're going to be doing a lot more of that. We're going to start doing documentary reviews as well, because you've been very interested in this documentary series about Gypsy Rose, right? Oh my gosh. My eyes got so big, so big. (laughs) I'm like, oh my (laughs) gosh, Gypsy Rose. It's an intense story. And I don't even want to say I have a viewpoint about it. I don't even have an opinion I don't know what to think. I watched all six episodes. I probably watched them actually at least three times each. (laughs) I don't know if I should admit that. That's a lot of commitment. Um, Yes. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to watch them once and then we can talk about them. I'll probably watch it a couple more times just so that I really know what I'm talking about. You go do that. Good luck with that. You know me about how I get like obsessed with little things. Yes, you, you you do get obsessed with those things. And then we have, you're doing a press kit thing with our, with our friend Alexa Curtis. Is that correct? Oh, yes. Yeah. So Alexa Curtis and I are doing a press kit for survivors. It's going to be a live Zoom on January 18th at 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And anyone can come join, but you have to just email survivorsquadpod at gmail.com. And tell me that you want to come join, and then you can join for free. It's going to be exclusive, but, you know, it's free. It's free, but exclusive. Um, We like that. So um, speaking of exclusive, we have a wonderful exclusive interview with someone who you've been a fan of, even though you didn't realize that you were, it was her, you're more of a fan of the actress that played her. But uh, who's our guest today, Tara? So we have Dr. Nay. She is the real person from Wolf of Wall Street. You may know her as the Duchess of Bay Ridge. She called herself the Duchess of Bay Ridge? No, that's what Jordan called her. That's hilarious. I had no idea. Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. Shout out. I, I know exactly where Bay Ridge is. So now, now who was she married to? She was married to Jordan... Belfort. Belfort. Yes. Yes. Some... Not, not Leonardo DiCaprio, but played by Leonardo DiCaprio in the film, The Wolf of Wall Street. And of course, he became famous after going to prison for robbing people and committing all kinds of financial fraud and uh, made a deal with Martin Scorsese. And if you haven't seen Wolf of Wall Street, it's, you know, it's a fantastic film. 
<laughs> just to be honest. Oh, it's so good. I even have a canvas poster art. of the scene of him like throwing the money at her or whatever, right? Yes. And that is and that is Dr. Nadine Macaluso. Yes, the one where she's like, you know, you can't have this, you can't get this. Cause it's like, in my opinion, a real woman empowerment scene, even though the movie was about her ex-husband, who's a narcissist. Or as she says, she says pathological lovers. Pathological lovers. Yeah, she's got a great. So she has a book that's coming out. What is the book called? Because it's coming out tomorrow or today when you're listening to this episode. It's called Run Like Hell. Run Like Hell by Dr. Nadine Macaluso. And um, and we're going to be seeing her tonight at her private event in Manhattan Beach, California. So if you are listening to the podcast and you see us there, please come say hi. Yes. Well, I'm really excited to get into this episode. Let's get into it. Well, welcome, Dr. Nay. Thank you so much for coming on today. Oh, thank you for having me. So why don't you start to tell us a little bit about your story and who you are? Okay, sure. So my story goes way, way back to the streets of Brooklyn, New York. Uh, I was actually born in England, but my parents brought me over uh, back to the States as a baby. And I grew up in Brooklyn, and my parents got divorced when I was very young. So when I was about five or six, and so I was raised by a single mother in Brooklyn in the 70s, which was a great time. Um, and my mother was tough because it's not easy to have two children um, at 24, 25 years old in Brooklyn on your own, but she did it and she was a wonderful mother and she was very into psychology. So... Every single night, we talk about our feelings and psychology and talk about Sigmund Freud and Carl Jung. And so psychology and emotions were very much alive in my home. And I had a very charmed childhood. Uh, just, you know, just a nice, easy childhood in Brooklyn. Very loved. I think my life was almost easier in a way that there wasn't a man in the home. As ironic as that can sound, but maybe not as we're going to talk about things like that, right? And so then, but I did not grow up wealthy. And so around 16, 17, 18, I was really on my own financially and I needed money. And so I wanted to become a model and my mother was dead set against it because she was highly into education. But I was like, mom, um, I can't, you know, live on crunchy cheese doodles and frozen pizza for the rest of my life. So I need to make money and I need to go model. And so I was modeling in the city. It was probably the late 80s. Madonna, we were going to, I was going to Studio 54, having the time of my life. And I lived in Brooklyn Heights with my best girlfriend. And so here I was just hanging out. And when you live in the city on the weekends, you go to the Hamptons in the summer. And so I had a boyfriend at the time and it was, I guess it was the summer of 19, God, 89, I guess. Yeah, maybe. And so we go to this big party on Dune Road in this 
beautiful white house on the beach with my boyfriend. And little did I know, I was walking into the house of my future husband, which is so weird to say that, right? Because as a young 22-year-old girl, I I just thought I was going to a party to hang out. So I walk into the party and everybody's acting really strange. And I'm looking at my boyfriend like, what? what the fuck is happening? These people are so weird. Now, I don't know at the time that they're all on tons of quaaludes because I don't even know quaaludes exist, right? I'm 22 years old. I'm total, totally clueless. And so my ex-husband is the Wolf of Wall Street, right? So there's a movie about it. And there's a movie about, there's we show this scene in the movie. They show this scene where when I'm at the party, so this guy starts to like expose himself to me in the middle of the party and I'm mortified. And I say to my boyfriend, like, we have to get the hell out of here. These people are nuts. And I'm totally freaked out. Okay. I just think I'm going to a regular party. I don't think anything like this is going to happen. So we leave. But I guess Jordan had seen me and decided that that was it. He wanted to have me. And so I go about my life. I'm living with my boyfriend. I'm modeling, but I'm in the Hamptons. And I just always hear this, like, crazy white Ferrari, like going around my house. I could actually hear his muffler because he had a crazy muffler on his car. So anyway, I go back to Brooklyn and this woman starts to call me and say, hey, Dean, I want to go out. I want to go out. And I'm like, why does this one want to go out with me? I barely even know her. I barely even know the woman. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And she's like, oh, well, you know, that guy Jordan's going to meet us. And I go, what what is he going to meet us for? Isn't he married? I go, what what does he want to come? She said, what do you care? I said, I don't care. I just think it's weird. So little did I know that he had paid this woman $15,000 to orchestrate this whole entire date. So I had no idea. So I just show up to the dinner in New York City at Mezzaluna And out he comes out of his Ferrari with his cowboy boots, sauntering to meet me. He sits down. We get along fabulously. I'm from Brooklyn. He's from Queens. Now, you have to remember, he's probably the most charming man on purpose, right? I don't know. This whole thing is a setup. I'm just being my natural self. And so then he drives me home. And then I'm like, "Hmm, maybe this guy likes me. So I leave him. The next day I come home to my apartment, my whole entire apartment is filled with flowers. I can't even get in. And my friends were like, come on, you have sex with this guy. I'm like, I have sex with him. I didn't even know I was going out with him. Right. So, so then I was modeling and he was married, even though he told me he was separated and had an apartment in the city, which he did have an apartment in the city. I just don't think he was separated. Okay. So I'm going to Chicago. That's when I do my Miller Lite commercial. He's in the city. I come back from Chicago. I'm at the gym. He's at the gym. We end up going out. Right? So we go out on a first date. And of course, like it's fireworks. We're full madly in love. That was December. And now I understand the way these guys work. He's like, guess what? If you do not 
marry me, I'm not even going to date you. And I was like, what? I was like, I'm 22 years old. I don't want to get married. I'm modeling. I'm free. Like my parents got divorced at 30. I don't want to get married. And he's like, well, then then we're not going to date. So I didn't understand that now this coercive control and forceful intimidation is already starting to happen. I'm like, oh my God, he just loves me so much. He can't live without me. That's why, you know, he wants to get married. Now he ups the ante, right? Because the goalposts always move with these people. Wait, no, If now if you're not going to have kids with me, I'm not going to marry you. And I'm like, what? Now you want me to have kids? So I'm freaking out, but I'm giving in because I'm madly in love. He just means he must love me so much. And so before I know it, I'm married. I have kids. And you have to remember this domination, intimidation is interspersed with love. And I would turn around, there'd be a horse in my driveway. There'd be great gifts. There'd be great trips. There'd be very romantic moments. But there would always be this forceful coercion. It's his way or the highway. And he was very threatening and very aggressive. And he was very rageful when he didn't get his way or if I tried to set a boundary. And I had never seen anything like that in my life. So I didn't know what to do. So as we're dating, I mean, as we're living together and married now and I'm having babies and I'm his wife, his drug addiction gets really bad. And it just gets out of control. I mean, he's, as you see in the movie, I mean, he's just an absolute mess. Taking tons of quaaludes all the time. Any any drug he honestly could get his hands on, but quaaludes was his thing. And so many years into the marriage, six, seven years into the marriage, I've had it. I've had it with the drug addiction, had it with the abuse, but I've really also had it with him watching. I didn't want to watch him kill himself. You know, he was still my husband, still the father of my children. And that's when it got very ugly between us because I told him I was going to leave him. And that's when he started to throw my clothing in the fireplace, throw my jewelry in the fireplace, light it on fire. You fucking gold digger, cunt whore. How dare you tell me what the fuck to do? I'm scared to death, you know, but I know he has to get sober and I leaned into my closet and telling myself, like, God, give me the strength to do this. And I was, I think, 28 or 29 at the time. Yeah. And I left that night to go to my mother's because I knew my kids were safe. My nanny was there. I need to make a plan. And when I was heading home, my mother said to me, you know, you have to call the police because you're going home to a domestic violence situation. You need to warn them. So I called the police. I went home. And he's high on cocaine, running a meeting in the living room. And he comes down to my office and tells me, I'm taking our daughter to Florida. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Listen, I am from Brooklyn, right? I'm like over my dead body. And so he has my daughter and runs up the stairs. And um, as I chase him, he donkey kicks me down the stairs. So luckily, I was in really good shape back then. I ran up the stairs, dialed 911 chased him. All my help is watching him steal my daughter. And um, he went into the garage and I said to my one housekeeper, close the garage door. And he had my daughter in the car and he drove us both into the garage door. So luckily I called the police. So they came and they arrested him. And the good news is there was a lot of drama after that uh, too, but he did get sober. He went to rehab for a month and he came back. But, you know, there, there were two seminal moments that happened after that as to why I left him. I mean, that would have been enough to leave him, of course. But remember, I still feared him. 
right? When somebody's violent like that with you, you really, really fear them. And, and um, we went to sushi one night, six months later. And I remember saying to him, you know, Jordan, that was really tough. All the drugs, all the abuse. Yes, it wasn't that bad. And it was in that moment that my heart closed. And I didn't know the word callous back then. But it was the most callous, unremorseful, uncompassionate reply. And then something inside of me died. And then six months later, he got arrested on 11 counts of money laundering. The FBI showed up to my house. He never said to me, if this happens, this is what you do. Right? He never warned me. He knew it was going to happen. They came. They uh, questioned me for four hours alone. After they arrested him, I had no lawyer, nobody there. Um... And that was it. Once he had an ankle bracelet on, I knew he was the government's problem and not my problem anymore. And I left him. And what really gets me angry is when people say, you know, oh, the trolls over the Internet. Oh, you left him because he lost his money. It's like, no, I left him because I finally fucking felt safe. Because he had an ankle bracelet on and I knew he couldn't hurt me anymore. And I knew he couldn't say I was a drug addict. He couldn't say I wasn't, I wasn't a good mother. Like now the power shifted, right? he couldn't abuse his power over me any longer. And so about a year and a half later, I went on a blind date and I met my current husband who lives in California. And because of, well, the stuff going on with the government and some other dumb stuff Jordan had done, I was able to move to California. So I picked up my kids and we had a brand new fresh start, which was great. And at 39, I went back to school to become a therapist because when I first met Jordan, um, I put myself right into therapy because I was like, there's no fucking way I can handle this guy and this life and this money and these people and these drugs, right? And all that. So um, I realized therapy saved my life. So I wanted to go back to school to be a therapist. So I went back to school at 39 and that was right when Jordan had written his book, The Wolf of Wall Street. Right. And so he wrote the book. I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> wasn't bad enough the first time. Now I get to see it in black and white. Did he write the book? Was he in prison? Yes, he was in prison when he wrote the book. Yep. Cheech and Chong was his was his roommate and told him to write the book. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hey, Tara, as you know, I've been going back to therapy and I absolutely love it. You've been going back to therapy too, right? Oh, yeah. I went back to therapy and I went back to BetterHelp as well. Did you really? And how's that working out for you? I love it because there's so many therapists to choose from on there. Whatever you need, you could just go through a list. I went through a list the other day, just seeing what they had to offer. There was one with PTSD. There's so many great therapists. I mean, I believe there's over 30,000 different therapists that are on their app and you can communicate with them with video conferencing. You can do messages and communicate with your therapist. It's a very personalized experience, which I really love. Oh, yes. I texted with a therapist the other day and I'm never tried that out before and I was like oh because I was typing it out with her processing through it and usually I get angry when I type stuff out but I was like oh I was able to process it and work through it in a new way and you know what in a season of giving what better gift than to give yourself the gift of therapy in the season of giving give yourself what you need with better help Visit BetterHelp.com slash Survivor today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Survivor. Oh, wow. 
Cheech from Cheech and Chong. And so, um, and I was in school, coming to therapist, raising my family. And then he says to me, you know, Martin Scorsese's going to make it into a movie. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. There's no way that that's happening. But of course, you know, Jordan is a grandiose agentic narcissist. He can make anything happen. And he did. And they, you know, wanted to use my name. And I was like, no, I make no money. I have no creative input. This is not from my perspective. You cannot use my name. And, um, you know, the movie came out. And again, I was like, this was when I was finishing my doctorate. And I was like, who's going to want to come to me as a therapist? Like, they're going to Google me. It's the internet. And they're going to say this crazy woman is a therapist now. But actually, the opposite happens. People Googled me and were like, oh, my God, like, you went through this and you came out like this? I do want to go to you. And so I had a great practice in Manhattan Beach, California. And that's where I started. It was, it's one wonderful place. And then um, what happened was I just kept hearing women come into my office with similar stories to me. Not exactly the same, but domination, intimidation, coercion, control, threats, right? Abuse, psychological abuse, gaslighting. And I was like, there's something going on here. And that was also the same time that Harvey Weinstein, Jeffrey Epstein, the Boy Scouts, the priests, it's like there's so much abuse of power, right, um, to, towards vulnerable people, not just in the homes, but all in culture. And so like any good academic did, I went back to the research and I started to research trauma bonds and dark tetrad and narcissism and psychopathy and intermittent abuse. And my practice and the women's experiences were feeding the research and the research was helping the women and so then I decided to write a book. And that's really how the whole, I mean, that's a very short, brief synopsis of how this whole experience came to be. But it's not like when I was a little girl, I was like, one day I'm going to be a trauma bond whisperer and eradicate the world of trauma bonds, you know. No, it's just that life unfolded in a certain way. And I guess, you know, my career is it's not a career, it's a vocation, it's a calling. This was just the way my life was, I guess, supposed to be. Yeah. Do you feel that if the movie came out now that it would have a different effect? In a sense, do you think that people wouldn't? Because I feel like the humor back then was also a little bit different in a sense. And like the entourage was so popular in shows like that. Yeah, I do. I think timing is everything. And I think they snuck it in and got it in before the Me Too movements and Jeffrey Epstein, Harvey Weinstein, right? All of these sorts of uh, more collective experiences. Yeah, but I do think no matter what, um, there is, it. I definitely think it represents the shadow side of society that's there and people like to see it projected on the screen. Yeah. And I I think it's so like such a phenomenon that it became because so many men in particular, they see, you know, we just had Crystal Hefner on the podcast and, you know, Hugh Hefner's uh, widow. And he's so glorified in a sense. And then it made your ex so glorified, even though he 
took people's money and was right. a bad person in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. These people, like you said, they, they always find a way to end up on the, and taking care of themselves. It's like, yeah. you know, he, he robs a lot of people. He goes to prison. Then he writes a book and now it's Martin Scorsese movie. Now he's a celebrity. Now he's a celebrity. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's crazy. It's insane to me. No, it, it is. It is. And the, you know, the interesting part is when I didn't want to let them use my name and, you know, he's, he's the quintessential salesperson. Okay. And he was like, come on, come on. You'll have a hundred million dollar campaign to do with whatever you want. And I was like, whatever at the time, but you know, he's such a good salesperson. He dropped that seed in my brain, right? He just thought he was selling me. He never thought I'd actually do something with it, which is really funny. And I'm not doing it to harm him, right? At all. Uh, he's already told every told everybody he's a drug addict, wife abuser. This I'm not saying anything he hasn't already stated about himself. But I get to use the Wolf Engine now to educate women everywhere. It's really crazy. Oh yeah, all, how it all turned out. Oh yeah, no, and he. In my opinion, it's funny now watching back with the knowledge that I have now is yeah. he's a textbook narcissist. Oh, yeah. Starting out stalking you. Yeah. You know, the car around the building. Then he um, had friends, you know, contact you and try to get you involved that way. Like everything was a plan moved and on, on his part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the uh, Machiavellian, you know, part. Yep. Yep. Everything was, you know, when you think about abuse or people's interactions, we all can react crazy. We all can, you know, we're all imperfect beings. But when you go behind the behavior and see what someone's intention is, that's where we really get to the juice. Right. I just thought I was showing up to meet a friend for dinner. I had no idea I was set up on a date. Right. Yeah. And do you think that because you had a boyfriend that was also extra enticing to him? No. No. I don't think that was it. No. Mm -mm. I think he's just, you know, there are grandiose narcissists. There are vulnerable narcissists. He is a grandiose agentic narcissist he goes after what he wants he feels entitled and superior and he will go for what he wants yeah i don't think that mattered no okay because you know with some men it's like oh the competition and they're like okay yeah no i don't i mean i don't i don't think that was his um take on it no okay Well, it's just all very interesting with, you know, his tactics. Yes. Yes. And but then, you know, and that's why I wrote my book, because I mean, 25 years ago, nobody was talking about this. Not even my therapist. Right. No, this wasn't in the zeitgeist. I mean, I was clueless. Clueless. Even when I went to school, God, what was what is it now? 13 years ago? They were we weren't we weren't taught this in school. I mean, we would talk about narcissistic personality disorder, borderline personality disorder, but we weren't taught taught about this cluster 
this dark test track cluster of narcissism, psychopathy, Machiavellianism, and sadism. Um, no, they didn't teach us about any of this severe pathology, which is kind of crazy. Well, it feels like it's very a very new science, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's been around yeah. forever. Obviously, these personality traits have been around forever. Yeah. But our understanding, you know, it's interesting. It was li- it's interesting listening to Tara ask you the question about uh, about him and you saying, "No, he's just a grandiose narcissist. He just goes for what he wants." And, you know, I think where all that gets swept under the rug over the years or why it was ignored is that you just oh he's a guy he's just he's that's what he's supposed to do they're supposed yeah. to be aggressive they're supposed to they're supposed to win the super bowl they're supposed right. to be the, the the high school quarterback they're supposed to be the macho guy yes. and we get that confused and i feel like even as much as these um as the, these traits are you know so detrimental to our society there's this very i mean look at the rise of politics mm-hmm. <laughs> and a certain po- political figure from New York and that whole machismo attitude of, you know, well, devil may care and I don't care either. And, and I'm going to do whatever I want. And it doesn't matter. There's no consequences. Right. Mm-hmm. And it, it becomes, it becomes very dangerous when people begin to idealize that. Yes, yes, yes. And the way I describe this person, cause I don't, use the term narcissist as much. I use the term pathological lover because pathological means mentally unwell. And so what I say is that this sort of individual that's in a trauma bond, that's the perpetrator, will lie, betray, deceive, exploit, and abuse anyone to get their needs met for money, power, pleasure, and status. Stat. So if you're the type of person that's going to use and exploit and betray and harm people for your own selfish reasons because you feel entitled or you feel superior or you're lacking a moral compass, you're mentally unhealthy, right? Yeah. Do you think that every narcissist is a cheater in a sense or every, sorry, every pathological liar is a cheater? Yeah. Pathological lovers. Yeah. I think they're mostly lovers. Yeah. Okay. I do think a lot of them are cheaters. Yeah. And I love the word that you're using instead because I think that narcissist is so overused in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. And listen, you know, it's good to have good, healthy self-esteem. I mean, a lot of people have narcissistic traits that doesn't make them pathological. Again, it's the intention and the ability to look at people as tools on a tool belt. That's the way I think about it. But when you're going into a relationship, wanting to love and cherish and be tender with somebody, it's, you get, you get destroyed. Do you think that there's a typical person that they usually go for? You know, it's interesting. I, there's this um, major researcher in the country, Josh DeMille, and him and I have spoken about this and I write about this in my book, he says anybody and anyone can fall for them because they're just so good at what they do. But then there's a wonderful book called Women Who Love Psychopaths by Sandra L. Brown that I highly recommend. And what she says is that, you know, women who are very agreeable and very conscientious based upon this personality trait assessment that's very big in psychology they're easy prey because they're tolerant, they're kind, they're loyal, they're orderly, they're, um, they, they have integrity, right? 
And that's one of the reasons why I wrote my book is because stop blaming the victim. She's codependent. She's a love addict. She's this. She's that. No, no, no. She's probably just a very nice woman who fell in love with the wrong person and got all of her nice qualities. Like if you come to therapy, right, Tara, and I find out you're loyal and tolerant and good and decent. Am I going to therapize those traits out of you? No, I'm going to nurture them. They're strengths. But in the hands of the wrong person, they get weaponized. So I do think that certain women, because of those traits, fall prey to them. But again, in my book, I break down how there's many different types of personalities can get caught up in them. But those sorts of women, which I am one of them, I test very high in agreeableness and conscientiousness definitely need to know because they are easier prey and that's research right that's why i love sandra l brown's book i don't know if you do you know that book no i just wrote it down actually yeah you will love it it's so good i highly recommend it and she's the one that unearthed all that research about the personality traits oh okay mm -hmm. i like that yeah because everybody blame oh my god i can't believe you stayed you know, and I think we talked about this a little bit in the beginning, um, you know, trauma bonds has to have two things for it to exist, intermittent abuse, which means a person's 65, you know, selfish, cruel, callous, psychologically abusing, let's say 65% of the time, but or 40 to 35% of the time, they can appear helpful and generous and kind. And so it's the mix of the extreme behaviors, of the extreme kindness, like the horse coming down my driveway, or the extreme domination, you have to get married or I won't be with you, that actually creates the bond. And then the second thing is a power imbalance where one person has to have the power. And you can get the power because you have more resources, um, or you can have more power because you become dominating. Right. So those are the two things that have to exist. So that's why when people say, oh, why do they say, why do they say these are deep, psychologically complex concepts that people need to understand so they don't end up in these things? You know, it's what January 2nd and December 31st is the end is always the, is the day my mother was murdered by my father, who is a psychopath, <laughs> you know. And so I, I'm just listening to you and I'm thinking about the 65%, 70% and then the wonderful things. And, and just even my own relationship with my father is those heavily abusive, controlling periods. And then, oh, but I'm sorry, I love you or, you know, yeah. you're a good son. And it's this roller coaster. And what do you say to someone, you know, who's trying to get off that? that roller coaster or doesn't recognize that cycle because, Oh, well he does love me. See, he does love me. And then yeah. how do you, how do you get people to recognize that's not healthy behavior? What I tell them is that they have to realize that the nice behavior is not truly nice. It's another form of manipulation. So these, huh. this sort of person, even when they're nice and charming and loving or pretending to be remorseful, it's another form of manipulation. It's not genuine. And that's a hard pill for a lot of people to swallow, especially when they're married to somebody. And I always say to them, I know this is hard to take in. Sure. You know, but this is because it 
the two sides of the person create cognitive dissonance, meaning you feel mentally confused. Is the person good? Is the person bad? Am I crazy? Yeah, yeah. Are they crazy? Is the relationship good? Is the relationship bad? So you're in a constant state of confusion due to the two faces. But if you can take away the face, both faces, and realize it's just really one bad face, slowly but surely they kind of start to come to terms with that. I have a little toy on my desk that my father gave me. This is one of the nicest memories I have of him. But he got this special He-Man figure, but the character is called Manny Faces. Mm. And it has three different faces, the evil, the robot. And then the guy, the man, right? You know? And he so, gave that to you? And he gave this to me. And it was like the, the action figure to get. And I remember it was like one of the happier memories of my childhood because it was like the one that all the kids wanted, right? And I, he had it in like his jacket. And my mom was like, go tickle daddy or whatever. And I'm just remembering. And it's just interesting you say that. The, the, the many faces. This is he's called wow. many faces. Yeah, it's wild. And I have it sitting on my desk to remind me of that. You know? Yeah the deceptive and the the manipulation and the, all of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. very difficult to, to yeah. It's a, as you said, it's a tough pill to swallow, right? It is. It is. And that's why when I say it, I usually say it very softly yeah. and very easily. Right. Cause also I want people to be able to take it in. Sure. And, and they might not take it in the first time and that's, that's fine. You know, I mean, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. Now, was he, you had mentioned, so Tara had asked earlier, are they cheaters? Did he have, I mean, I've seen the Wolf of Wall Street once, but I don't, I didn't give it a lot of it to memory, but yeah, did he, was he cheating on you as well? Because I yeah. thought I remember he was not cheating on you. I thought he was very loyal. I thought that was the character that DiCaprio, I thought I remembered, I thought I remember that being something, a magnanimous quality of his or something. Yeah, no. In the movie, he actually shows himself cheating a decent amount. And he shows in the movie that that's what we fought about. We actually never fought about that. We fought about his drug addiction. Yeah. So, yeah, that wasn't anything that was really on the table for us while we were married. We had plenty of other things to contend with. Yeah. But he must have been <laughs> doing that, you know. Um, but that wasn't what we fought about at all. But I guess in his mind, that's he'd rather show himself like that than that's how he wanted to present himself. How does someone like him function with that level of income and everything and be able to, or maybe he was not functioning and that's the whole, <laughs> that's the whole yeah. point. With the, you know, I, mean, I think about quaaludes. I mean, <laughs> they just knock you out. Yeah, sure. I remember somebody drugged me with a Quaalude one time and they were, and I was a mess and people were like, what happened to you? I was like, I have no idea. And this one guy was like, I think you somebody put a Quaalude in your drink. I was like, I don't remember. Like I was, I just remember being very out of it. Yeah. <laughs> and um, how can you, how do you function well, with all those a, drugs in your I system mean, and take a, people's money? Yeah. Jordan is an extraordinarily bright individual. He's, he has a, one of, he has, uh, yeah, he, he has, he's very, very bright. And so, you know, he functioned to the best that he could till he did it. Drugs always win. Yeah, they're undefeated. <laughs> and now he's sober and, you know, he's, he's, he's good with my kids. And that's very important to us that we were always really good parents together. And people are always kind of shocked at that. But we have two wonderful children. My daughter's a therapist. My son's a musician. 
and um, he's a good dad to them. But he had that whole, has that whole other side to him that really was out of control with the drugs. And then because the Quaaludes are such downers, that's when he turned to Coke, which we know will take the best of us down. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This concludes part one of our two-part episode with Dr. Nadine Magaluso. Can't wait for part two? Please subscribe to the Survivor Squad Patreon to receive exclusive early access to all episodes. On that note, Survivors, I'm Tara Newell. And I'm Collier Landry. And this is the Survivor Squad Podcast. We'll see you guys. Bye. The Survivor Squad Podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. Please subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And please consider supporting this program by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Survivor Squad.